0: thankful that we're moving in john's gospel we are going to wrap up chapter one today john 1 43 to 51 you heard it read the title come and see come and see here's the big idea find invite and show find invite and show hide and seek anybody favorite game of yours even as an adult never gets old I still play it often with my kids. Uh, Haley had a couple of ladies come over to the house last week or two weeks ago now, and one of the ladies brought their kids, and uh, I was at work, but I heard they played an epic game of hide-and-seek, and And one of my sons and one of this mother's sons were gone. Like, nobody could find them. And the stipulations were, you don't leave the house, right? you got to stay in the home, and they looked forever. Three days. Didn't find them. No, but I mean, enough time had gone by to where they were getting concerned. Where are these kids? And lo and behold, one was in the washing machine. (laughs) One was in the dryer. (laughs) I don't recommend that. That could be dangerous. But kudos to the kids for being creative. That was, yeah. But my kids, I I would argue, and I'm sure parents, you can argue the same. My kids are hide-and-seek pros and when they hide if I'm playing I go looking for them I pursue them I'm one of those dads where I don't let my kids win at sports you know ask Clark I'm not going to spot in five points I'm going to knock the ball out of the air and get in his face and say let's go I'm not that intense but hide and seek I'm I'm going to come find you that's the name of the game I seek them out I pursue them Know this, God is the king of hide and seek. He is. The problem is, we don't wish to be found. Because of sin, we hide from God, just like our first parents, Adam and Eve. But what does the Lord do? What does the Lord do? He seeks us out. Amen? He seeks us out. What grace. As Augustine famously said, we could not even... Have begun to seek for God unless He already found us. That's a good quote. Praise God that He seeks us out even when we don't wish to be found. Amen? He's a gracious God. Well, if you were here last week, we talked about disciple making. And we're going to continue that theme of disciple making because it appears once again in our text. Jesus continues to call followers to himself. Now, what do we learn? What do we learn from Jesus' example of disciple making? We're going to look at three things this morning. Three things. Number one, Jesus takes the initiative. Jesus takes the initiative. This is verses 43 and 44. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Now, this is really cool. This has to be read in light of its cultural context. Okay, so it was normal for a rabbi, a Jewish teacher, to have disciples. That wasn't abnormal. That wasn't strange. Here's the strange thing. In this culture, it was the would-be disciples, the would-be students, that would go after the rabbi. They would throw themselves at their feet and say, please, please let me study under you. Let me spend my life learning from you. So the student would take the initiative. The student would pursue the rabbi that they wanted to spend their life learning from. That was the norm. Jesus, on the other hand, takes the initiative by finding his disciples and calling them to follow him. And we see that in all the Gospels. This was countercultural. This was remarkable. Now, what stands out in our text is the fact that Jesus finds Philip. He goes to him and gives him the invitation to follow him. Now, I like Greek. I've spent a lot of years learning Greek. It's very valuable. Do you have to know Greek to be a student of God's Word? No, of course not. We have great translations. But this is one of those examples where I think the Greek word is gonna be really helpful. The word to find. That word appears multiple times in our passage, right? Jesus finds Philip. We're gonna find Philip finding Nathaniel. It's like hide and seeks going on, right? So what does this word mean? It's the Greek word eurisko. It sounds like an English word. Anybody? Eureka, there you go. But the word eurisko, it's a verb, it refers to a purposeful search. An intentional search. We sometimes exclaim, Eureka! When we find something that we've been intentionally looking for. And this is typical of the Lord. He takes the initiative as seen throughout the scriptures. Do we see this? Is this an accurate picture of God seeking after people in the Bible? Taking the initiative, going after his people? Would you agree with that? Yes, because it's true. And I want to start in the Old Testament, and I want to give a brief survey of where we see God as the expert seeker. <laughs> Exodus 3, 7 to 8. And then the Lord said, listen, this is so good. I have surely seen, listen to the verbs, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. Task I know I know their suffering. So, I've seen, I've heard, and I know, the Lord says. I've seen, I've heard, and I know. I know their sufferings, and I have come down. Who came down? The Lord. I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. The Lord sees the affliction of his people He hears their cries, and he comes down to rescue them. He takes the initiative. Let's go to the New Testament, John 3.16. We're all familiar with John 3.16. I shouldn't say that. Many of us are familiar with John 3.16. If you've watched a sporting event, I'm not sure if this is common today, but occasionally someone in the audience will have John 3.16. What does it say? For God so loved the world. Okay. So God loved the world so much that he gave. He gave his only son. Who took the initiative there? God, he sent his son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. There is this downward movement in scripture. Now pay attention here. There is this downward movement in scripture, whereby the Lord of heaven comes down to seek and rescue his people. The Lord takes the initiative to seek and rescue. One more, and then I'll tell you a brief story. Luke 19, 5 and verse 10. Luke chapter 19, verse 5 and verse 10. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, who's he talking to? Who's in the tree the sycamore tree? Because of his short stature. He was a wee little man. Zacchaeus. This is what Jesus says. Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Who took the initiative there? I used to do that when I was in high school. I'd invite myself over. And then I would raid the fridge of whoever's house I was at. It's not good to do that. What a jerk. I like to eat. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Uh, I've mentioned this before, but when I was in high school, I started this small ministry called the D Team. So corny. The Discipleship Team. That's what we call ourselves. I'd meet at the church parking lot with a few buddies on Friday night, and we'd begin by praying together. We'd pray together, and then we would go out. Where would you go, Chris? We'd go to the mall. We'd go to Walmart. We would spend Friday evenings going out and looking for the lost. We took the initiative to seek unbelievers and to call them to follow Jesus. Here's some application. How are you taking the initiative, like Jesus, to call the lost to follow him? Jesus is making disciples in our passage. He calls Philip to follow him. Who in your life can you begin calling to follow Christ? Take initiative. Take initiative. I had a professor in seminary, Old Testament professor, Dr. Petter. Dr. Petter. And I had a class in Old Testament studies with Dr. Petter. And Dr. Petter summarized the Old Testament this way. And I think it's appropriate. I think it's clear. I think it's consistent. Dr. Petter said, the overall message of the Bible is this. God relentlessly pursues a people for himself, for his glory. God relentlessly pursues a people for himself, for his glory. Who are you relentlessly pursuing for Christ? I'm going to mention it again. Until everyone does it. No, I'm not going to do that. But the 1 4P challenge. Actually, I met with the family this week in my office, and they're doing the 1 4P challenge. I was so encouraged. They wanted to meet and talk about that. Find one person in your relational world. This is the one, one and then four Ps. Find one person in your relational world. It could be a family member, a friend, a neighbor, a coworker, a classmate, students, that doesn't know Jesus, that's not saved, that's not walking with the Lord. And commit to 4P. Start praying for them. Pray for the Lord to graciously save them. Pray for God to give you boldness to reach out to them and to share with them the good news. And then start planning. Planning how you're going to engage them. If it's a family across the street, plan to have them over for dinner. If it's a coworker, I'm going to give you a big challenge today. Plan to do a, maybe a one-on-one Bible study with them. Take them to the Word. Number three, practice. Make sure you're actually practicing the Gospel, living out your Christianity before them, and number four, which is obviously the hardest, you have to do what? you got to proclaim it. you got to tell them the good news. That's the 1-4-P challenge. Now, what else do we learn in our passage about disciple-making from Jesus? Jesus takes the initiative. That's obvious. He takes the initiative. Number two, Jesus sets the example. He sets the example. And that's verses 45 to 51. Oh, this is so cool. Man. Who are we called to look like? Who are we called to live like? Christ. So pay attention here. right? Jesus, as it concerns making disciples, which is our mission as a church, amen? We're called to make disciples. Who sets the example? Who shows us how? Jesus does. So listen. Verses 45 to 51. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him. I mean, can you imagine this excitement? We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote Jesus of Nazareth the son of Joseph. We found him. We've been waiting. We've been longing for this moment. We found him. Nathanael said to him, Huh. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. I like that. Come and see. Come on, bro. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, and descending on the Son of Man. Now, it's interesting how Philip imitates Jesus in our passage. Who does Philip imitate? He imitates Jesus. How so? What does Jesus do? Let's start with Jesus. Okay. What's the example that Jesus sets for his followers and his would-be followers? Well, let's start with John 1.39. So let's go back to the previous week, last week. John 1.39. He said to them, this was Andrew and another unnamed disciple. He said to them, come and you will see. And then we look at John one forty three. The next day, this is how our passage began this morning. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. So he found him and said, what? Follow me. The third thing I want to emphasize is this. So we have come and see. He found, said, follow me. And then we get to John 1, 50-51. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. There's a very clear Old Testament reference to Genesis 28, which I'll unpack here shortly. How does Philip imitate Jesus? Verse 45. Philip found Eurisco. He found Nathanael. How about Jesus was finding people? He was. Philip's imitating Jesus, so Philip, too, is finding people. Verse 46, Philip said to him, Come and see. Who said that already? Jesus. Who's saying it now? Philip, because he's following the example of Christ. And then verse 45, We have found him of whom Moses in the law, and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, there are several things here we need to notice. Now, pay attention. Jesus finds people, check, invites them to come and see, check, and shows them who he is in the word, check. Those are the three things. Jesus finds people, invites them to come and see, and then he shows them in his word who he is. What does Philip do? He finds people. He invites them to come and see. And he shows them who Jesus is according to the scriptures. What? Philip follows the example of Jesus, the disciple maker par excellence. I wrote a a large paper. And when I mention this, I'll get emails from people, hey, send me that paper, and I'm happy to do that. I wrote a large paper on John 15 years ago titled, Jesus, the disciple of Yahweh par excellence. And I argued in the paper that Jesus is, is our ultimate example of what a disciple must be. Remember, Jesus not only died for us, he, he lived for us as well. He showed us what it means to be truly human and to live in right relationship with God. Jesus shows us what making disciples looks like. Now last week we focused on the examples of John the Baptist and Andrew. And today we're going to focus on the example of Jesus. And as we already saw under point one, Jesus takes the what? Takes the initiative. He goes after people. He finds the lost, and then he invites them to come and see. And not only that, but when we get to verses 50 and 51, we see that Jesus reveals who he is, and he uses the scriptures to do this. Isn't that remarkable? Jesus reveals himself according to the scriptures the old testament scriptures he shows people who he is according to the bible he is the glory of god the ultimate revelation of god he is the son of man according to the scriptures there are two major passages that jesus alludes to in verses 50 and 51 to show nathaniel who he is and we'll get there not yet do you remember how we defined evangelism or disciple making last week do you recall Here's what I said last week. This is the definition of disciple-making according to God's Word in John 1. It's declaring, okay, that's the first part, it's declaring the right things about Jesus as we bring people to Jesus. It's declaring the right things about Jesus as we bring people to Jesus. Does it matter what we say about Jesus? If you would say no, you're wrong. It does matter. It matters greatly. Again, what does this look like today? How do we bring people to Jesus? Are you even concerned with that? I don't know. I don't know if you are. I don't know your heart, but I hope you are. If you say, I'm a Christian, I hope you're concerned with bringing people to Jesus. How do we bring people to Jesus? We bring them to the Bible. Now listen, we bring them to the Bible, and we teach them the right things about Jesus. We show them in the Word, His matchless worth. If you recall my story last week, I shared with you about Zane, my friend in Washington, the restaurant owner. What did I do with Zane? I invited him to look in God's word with me at the life of Jesus. We spent months, months, plural, looking at the life of Jesus in Mark. And then we transitioned to Ephesians. I sought to evangelize Zane, who was lost, by inviting him to see Jesus In the scriptures, to behold Jesus' matchless worth in the word of God, to behold the Son of God, and by God's grace to follow Jesus. Who else did this, by the way? Jesus did. That's how Jesus evangelized. As he called people to himself, he showed them what he was like, where? In the word. He revealed himself to them in the word. All right, so Philip... Philip finds Nathanael, proclaims Jesus in light of the scriptures, and then invites Nathanael to come and see. This is a very Jesus-like thing to do, since Jesus does the same thing. He finds Philip, he invites him to follow after him, and finally Jesus reveals himself in light of the scriptures. He points to himself in the scriptures. That is what a saving encounter with Jesus results in, imitating the king. Amen? Here's some application. You ready for this? Do evangelism and apologetics with the, with the Word. With the Word of God. Show the lost Christ in the Scriptures. Follow the example of Jesus. Find the lost and invite them to come and see Jesus in the Word. In order to do evangelism well... You must know what who is like. you got to know what Jesus is like, right? You obviously can't tell people about someone if you don't know that person, if you don't know that someone well. And where do we go to learn Jesus well, to know him well, to find out what he's like? We go to the Scriptures. Again, who are you pointing people to? How is Jesus described in the Scriptures? To evangelize well, you must know the Word, and especially the one revealed in the Word. So find people, find friends, neighbors, family members, co-workers, classmates, and invite them to come and see what Jesus is like in in the Word. Here's the challenge. I'll be happy if five of you do this. I'll be elated if 30 of you do it. I'll pass out if all of you do it. I want to challenge you. And I'm not asking you to do something I don't do. I do this all the time because I'm called to. And we're all called to. Amen? We're all called to evangelize, to share the gospel. I want to challenge you to invite an unbeliever to study the gospel of Mark with you, one-on-one, so that they may see the matchless beauty of Christ and by God's grace behold Christ and believe in Christ. I've put 30 of these Mark studies out in front of the book nook to the right. There's that stand, and at the bottom there are 30 of these one-on-one. David Helm, he wrote these. It's eight eight weeks. It's really simple. You read through most of the big portions of Mark's gospel with an unbeliever, and you work through it, and there's questions provided for you. I want to challenge you. Do that with somebody that you know is not walking with Jesus. Show them Christ in the Word. Pray they would behold Christ and believe and follow him. So grab one today, and you feel like, hey, I need one. They're all gone. I'm going to be so pumped, and I'll print some more. What's the last thing we learned about disciple-making from Jesus in our passage? Number three, Jesus is the goal. He's the goal. He takes the initiative. He sets the example. But when it comes to disciple-making, he is the goal. We're calling people to Jesus. Amen? He's the goal. It's verses 50 and 51. So Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Can you imagine hearing that? Isn't that incredible? What an image. Were you listening? Did you hear? What did Jesus say? You're going to see greater things than these. And what are they going to see? According to Jesus... Heaven opened, and the angels of God ascending and descending on the, what title does he give himself? Son of Man. Where did that come from? We'll go there. Not yet. Making disciples. Here it is. Making disciples. Making followers of Jesus. That's what we're called to do. Amen? Making disciples is ultimately about calling people away from one thing and toward something, but in our case, someone else. We're calling them away from sin, life without God, to life with God, trusting in Jesus. We are meant to bring people to Jesus. We saw that last week with Andrew, where after beholding Jesus and believing in Jesus, he then brought his brother Simon to Jesus. Wasn't that cool? That was verse 41. Remember, Andrew, he beholds Jesus, he believes in Jesus, and then he brings his brother Simon to Jesus. In today's passage, we find Philip calling Nathanael to come and see. That's verses 45 to 46. D.A. Carson notes, this is a good quote, As Andrew brought Simon Peter and perhaps Philip to Jesus, so Philip found Nathanael in witness to him. That has been the foundational principle of truly Christian expansion ever since. Here it is, you ready? New followers of Jesus bear witness of him to others who in turn become disciples and repeat the process. New followers of Jesus bear witness to him to others who in turn become disciples of Jesus and repeat the process. I simplified it even more. Behold, believe, follow, and call others to behold believe and follow behold believe and follow and then what's your job call others to behold believe and follow have you ever had a friend that you wanted all your other friends to meet anybody like that i'm sorry (laughs) you're ashamed of your friends okay that's unfortunate but i'm serious have you ever had a friend like that Someone that the Lord has used to grow you and shape you and encourage you and counsel you that you're just like, man, I want everyone to know this friend. Anybody? I've had several friends like that. But one sticks out. His name's Greg. Greg is brilliant. I've never met a godlier man to this day. I met Greg in seminary. He's from Texas. We knew that, Chris. Greg... Looked like Jesus. Greg treasured Jesus. I've never met anyone like Greg. That brother came alongside me in seminary, encouraged me, counseled me, he discipled me. I would say because of Greg, I I love Jesus more. He showed me Christ in the word. We prayed together. We did ministry together. Greg got married. Greg went to China as a missionary for years. Had a lot of kids. And now... Greg is back stateside in New England pastoring God's church, preaching the full counsel of God boldly, faithfully, joyfully. Man, the, the more time I spent with Greg, the more I wanted people to meet him, to see what he's like, to be touched by his life the way I was. And I happily introduced him to others. I did. I remember Matt Ramsey, who's a member here, came out to see me in Boston when I was going to school there and um, got to, to meet Greg and uh, got to to know him and he was like man what a a godly man what a wonderful christian brother but here's the deal brothers and sisters is there a greater friend than jesus is there is he your friend is he your best friend we should desire as christians and make every effort to introduce jesus to everyone we meet there's no one like him There's no one like him. Again, Greg's great. Greg's a sinner. And the reason Greg's life has been transformed is because of his saving encounter with who? With Jesus. There's no greater friend than Jesus. We should desire and make every effort to introduce Christ to everyone we meet. There's no one like him. Well, here's where I want to spend some time. And I got a little bit left. What did we learn about Jesus in our passage? What do we learn about him? Again, does it matter what we know about Jesus? Where do we go to find out more about Jesus? The word. So what does the Bible, in our passage, teach us about Jesus? Remember, John's purpose in chapter 1 is to show us that Jesus is worthy. That's his purpose in chapter 1. Worthy to do what? Worthy to follow. We are meant to behold and believe. That's John's purpose. So, what do we behold about Jesus in our passage? Four things here that I want to show you in the scriptures. Let's start with verse 45. Verse 45, here's the first thing. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We found him! We found him! We found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. We found him. What an incredible statement from Philip. I can't imagine a greater endorsement of Jesus from a disciple. Can you? All the scriptures point to him. (laughs) The, The designation, the law and the prophets, was a common Jewish designation for the Hebrew scriptures in their entirety. Philip is essentially saying this. All, not some, not even the majority, but... What's the word? All. All Scripture bears witness to and points to Jesus, the one we've been expecting, the one that Scripture points to has finally come. Philip, based on his testimony here, believed that Jesus is the Christ, the promised king in the Hebrew Scriptures to rescue and rule over God's people. That's the first thing we learn about Jesus. All the scriptures bear witness to him that he is the Christ, the promised king to rescue and rule over God's people. The second thing is found in verse 48. Nathaniel said to him, man, how do you know me? <laughs> how do you know me? You can imagine his incredulity. I, I, I mean, <laughs> here is an Israelite, a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Man, you don't know me? That, I don't care who you are, that would disarm you. Someone that you've never met comes up and starts saying things about you. How do you know me? Now, here's where we're going to focus. Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. What? As Christians, this should not bother us because we know that Jesus has supernatural what? He has supernatural knowledge. And this is emphasized Throughout the Gospels. I think of Mark 2 where Jesus heals the paralytic. Before he does that, he forgives his sin. And Jesus says what? The text says what? He knew what they were thinking in their hearts. I I don't know what you're thinking. I know what some of you think. (laughs) I don't know what all of you think. Jesus knew what they were thinking. Wow. Jesus has supernatural knowledge. And again, this is emphasized throughout the Gospels. According to the Jews. This is important. Such knowledge was typically a sign or mark of a genuine prophet. Jesus is the prophet like Moses promised in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers, it is to him you shall listen. And many believed, most of the Jews believed at this time, that the one promised in Deuteronomy 18, 15 would be the Messiah, the promised king to rescue and rule over God's people. Now, this is really good. What of the fig tree? What did Jesus say? I saw you when you were under the what? You were were taking a little siesta under the fig tree, Nathaniel. What's significant about the fig tree? And maybe you're thinking, I don't know, man. I mean, it's first century Palestine and fig trees were prevalent. It's more than that. There's an interesting verse in Zechariah, chapter 3, verse 10. It's worth our attention. Will you go there with me? Will you listen? Zechariah 3.10. In that day, everybody say that day. Very specific day, not some day, but that day. In that day, each of you will invite your neighbor to sit under your vine in fig tree, declares the Lord Almighty. What day is being spoken of here in Zechariah three ten? Are you familiar with the context of Zechariah 3? Anybody read that today? I did. But I knew I was preaching on this passage. So, In Zechariah 3, we have the incredible vision of Joshua the high priest. Listen to this. Now, follow me here. This is really important. Zechariah 3. Joshua the high priest. He stands before the Lord in filthy garments. Ugh. Standing before the Lord in filthy garments. Filthy clothes which symbolize his sin and unholiness. And guess who else is standing by? Satan the accuser, standing by to accuse Joshua, the high priest, in his dirty, stinky clothes before the Lord. And then what happens? You're like, oh man, this is not good. He's dirty, he's sinful, unholy before the Lord, and Satan is there, and he has grounds to accuse Joshua, who's in these filthy garments which represent his sin and unholiness. What's going to happen? The angel of the Lord commands that Joshua's filthy rags be removed and new garments be placed upon him symbolizing God's forgiveness and allowing him to have access before the Lord. And then you're like how could it get any better than that? And then in that same chapter next before verse 10 which is about the fig tree next we see the Lord's servant the branch which was a common title for the Messiah The Lord's servant, the branch, the Messiah to come, whose coming would result in the removal of sin. That's promised in our passage. The coming of the king is going to mean the removal of sin. And then we have verse 10. And that day, what day? That day of salvation just described with all its beautiful imagery. That day and that day declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under his vine And under his fig tree. This whole scene, what we just read in John chapter 1, declares that the time of salvation has come, and it's come in who? It's come in Jesus. So it's time, look around, tell your neighbor, it's time to invite your neighbors to follow the king. It's time. Number three, the third thing, verse 49. Then Nathanael declared, after bearing witness to Jesus' supernatural knowledge, he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And these are both titles for the Messiah. Nathaniel beholds and Nathanael believes. He declares Jesus to be the promised king to rescue and rule over God's people. Essentially, Nathaniel is affirming what Philip has already proclaimed. He's agreeing with Philip's testimony. He's saying, yes, Philip, Jesus is indeed the promised king. This is what Jesus wants us to behold about him in John's gospel, namely that he is the Christ. And that should sound familiar because that's the purpose statement of John's gospel, John 20, 31. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Number four, the fourth thing that we learn about Jesus. Verses 50 and 51. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. All right. Jesus uses the what? He finds, he invites to come and see, and he shows people who he is according to the, the Bible. And so where does Jesus take us? Where does he take Nathanael? To the, to the Old Testament. Jesus uses the Old Testament to reveal his identity, to show us who he is. Now what is the Old Testament background for verse 51, this image of angels ascending and descending. It's Genesis 28. Can I read it to you? Thank you. Genesis 28, 12. Jacob. Jacob had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God, what were they doing? They were ascending and descending on it. Okay, so Jacob has this dream, this vision And in this dream, this vision, God confirms His covenant to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God's promise to give land and a great people and His presence. And again, through this family, all the families of the earth would be blessed. And verse 17 reads, And Jacob was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! That is an example where awesome is used correctly. Just a reminder. How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. What does Jacob do next? Jacob sets up a pillar, a memorial, if you will, and he names the place Baith El, Bethel, which means house of God. In Genesis 28, who shows up? God shows up to say, My presence, Jacob, guarantees that I'll come through on my promises. I'm here to tell you that. I'm here to tell you that. It's like when the boss doesn't just write you an email. He shows up and says, I'm going to be there. I'm going to do what I said. Face to face, he tells you that. God shows up as if to say to Jacob, my presence guarantees that I'm going to come through on my saving promises. And I'm here to tell you that, Jacob. The Lord comes in person to confirm his promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In the same way, the presence of Jesus, follow me here, in the same way, the presence of Jesus confirms God's faithfulness. It declares that God is acting on his saving promises. Now, what is Jesus doing here? What is he saying in verse 51? Why does he make this comparison to Genesis 28? Now, two things. How many? Two things we got to grasp here. That will change your life forever. I mean that. It's God's word. First, in verse 51, Jesus is claiming to be the new Bethel. What does that mean? The new place of divine revelation where God's glory and presence is made manifest, revealed. Where heaven and earth, God and humankind meet. Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God. The place of glory. Recall John 1.14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen his glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Second, Jesus is claiming to be the ladder to God. What does a ladder do? It connects two places, right? I was hunting yesterday morning. To get up in my stand, I had to climb a... A ladder. And the ladder got me from the ground to my hunting position. Ugh. You're like, I just climbed the tree. Well, good for you. <laughs> Jesus is claiming to be the ladder to God. Only Jesus can bring us into whose presence? Only Jesus can bring us into God's presence. Recall John 14:6. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So let's put these two ideas together. If you wish to see what God is like, come to Jesus. That's the first thing that this comparison declares. As Beth Isle, right, the house of God was a place where God revealed Himself to Jacob, Jesus is the new Bethel. If you want to see what God is like, look to who? Who will show you what God is like? Tell me. Jesus. And if you wish to be with God... Remember, Jesus is the latter. If you wish to be with God, then come to, come to Jesus. Jesus came to show us what God is like, and Jesus came to make a way to God, the only God. And all God's people said, oh, Isn't that rich? And then we have the final title, Son of Man. Son of Man. Because that's how he ends, right? You'll see greater things than these. You'll see angels ascending and descending on the... How does Jesus refer to himself? As the son of man. Where does this title come from? If you're familiar with Mark's gospel, it's used 14 times in Mark. Here, son of man. It comes from Daniel 7, 13 and 14. This is Daniel 7, 13 and 14. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man. Now listen to how he's described. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority. Whoa! Glory! And sovereign power. Now listen to this. All nations and peoples of every language, they worshipped him. What? They worshipped this one like a son of man? His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom one that will never be destroyed. Who is this? You should be in awe right now. Daniel 7, if we're just looking at Daniel 7, it presents us with a divine messianic figure. I know most of you don't go back and read Second Temple Jewish works in your free time. You don't do that. That's what I do. And do you know... What the Jews believed about this figure during the time of Jesus, they believed the figure described in Daniel 7 would be the promised king, the Messiah. What is Jesus saying? I'm the guy. (laughs) I'm him. Daniel 7 presents us with a divine messianic figure, one who knows the presence of God, one who has authority and power. The one that the nations will come to and bow down and worship. The king whose kingdom will know no end. Who is this mysterious figure, you may ask? None other than it's Jesus. Remember, there is a correlation, a connection between following Jesus. Okay, everybody say following Jesus. and believing the right things about Jesus. There's a connection, there's a correlation in Scripture between following Him and believing the right things about Him. We cannot divorce doctrine from discipleship. Don't you dare. We made this point two weeks ago when we talked about the importance of propositions, propositional truth claims. It matters what we believe about Jesus. That's what we're learning here, right? Jesus is finding people. Come and see. Here's what I'm like. If you're going to follow me, you need to believe the right things about me. Amen? What did Philip do? Nathaniel, I found you. Come and see. I found the one that all the scriptures point to. The promised king doesn't matter what we believe about Jesus. Of course it does. And that's why when we get involved in disciple-making and evangelism, we need to have what? The Bible. So we can show people what our king is like. You know, John's gospel is a theological work, as is the whole Bible. It teaches us truth about who Jesus is. It matters who Jesus is. Both Philip and Nathanael follow Jesus and believe the right things about Jesus. He is the king. Is he your king? Look at me. Is he your king? Is he your king? What's the promise? What's the promise in our passage? Verse 50, you will see greater things than these. Oh, (laughs) Jacob's vision in Genesis 28 confirmed that the place where God met with him was indeed God's place. It further confirmed God's faithfulness to his promises. Jesus is saying this. This is what he's saying. Stay with me, boys. Stay with me. What you will continue to see as you follow me, the miracles, will further confirm who I am, the long-awaited king, and not just that, but the place where God's presence and glory are revealed. Again, this is the purpose of John's gospel, the miracles or signs of Jesus, which again, in two weeks, we're going to look at the first one, we're almost there. But the miracles or signs of Jesus reveal who he is, the long-awaited king, the eternal son of God. Jesus is saying, behold and believe. Remember, Jesus takes the initiative. He sets the example for us. And he is the goal. Amen? He is the goal. We are to call people not to us. We are to call people to Christ. And to show them in his word what he's like and that he is worthy to follow. We are to seek the lost, call them to behold and believe in Jesus. So let's get to it. Let's get to it. Let's pray. Father, I cannot think of a greater privilege than following after the example of your son Jesus, calling the lost to come and see the King, calling the lost away from their sin into Jesus the Savior. Father, give us boldness. Give us joy in evangelism. Help us as a church to be known as a church that goes out, that goes out into our places of work, our neighborhoods, our schools, our homes, armed with the gospel, ready to share the good news, finding unbelievers, inviting them to come and see Christ in the Word of God. Help us to do evangelism with the Word open to show people what Jesus is like according to the Scriptures. Father, grow your church through our evangelism efforts, but we know you are the one who gives growth. Do that for your glory and our joy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.